If you've got your Bibles, would you turn with me to, to Psalm 126? And You know, I read this psalm out a few Sunday mornings ago. And I believe the Lord, it's been speaking to me over the last few weeks and months, maybe even. But I believe the Lord has, has, has given me a word from this psalm this morning. And uh, it's got to do with the willow tree and the heart being taken down, you know. But Psalm 126 says, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. Then said they, Among the heathen the Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth, forth and, bur- and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. When the children of Israel were held in captivity in Babylon, Their harps were hung upon the willow trees. There was no songs to be sung. There was no worship to be made. There was no shout of praise unto God. They were in prison, friends, this morning. They were imprisoned and they were in bondage. Turn with me to Psalm 137. And it's speaking of the children of Israel and it says this. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept. When we remembered Zion, we hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Friends, let me give you a bit of background into these Psalms, because Psalm 126 and Psalm 137 are linked. You know, there were three great captivities in the history of Israel. This one in Psalm 137 is the third one. It was led by the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, old Neb himself. He invaded Judah and Jerusalem, and in Second Chronicles 36 it tells how they slew the young men and the old men in the house of God, in the house of the sanctuary. They had no compassion on the young man or the young maiden or or the old man or them that stood with ease. It says that they took all the vessels out of the house of God, both small and great, and they took all the treasures out of the house of God and, and, and of the king of Judah. They burnt, they burnt the house of God and broke down the walls of Jerusalem and burnt the palace with fire. And them that had escaped the edge of the sword were carried away captive to Babylon where they were made servants, where they were made servants. So here in Psalm 137, we find them in captivity, sitting by the rivers of Babylon, and they're weeping, friends. They're weeping, weeping for lost family and lost lost, lost friends, weeping for lost homes, weeping over their sins. But most of all, friends, they're weeping. They're weeping because when they remembered Zion, 
When they remember Zion, the house of God, the temple of God, the holy place that was now burnt and the walls torn down and they themselves were captive in a strange land, how could they not but weep? How could they not but weep? The land of Babylon was nigh upon these to the children of Israel, just as Egypt had been in their beginning. And friends, in their captivity, they wept. They wept. They wept when they remembered Zion. Matthew Henry says, Thoughts of Zion drew tears from their eyes. And friends, it was not a sudden passion of weeping such as we are sometimes put into when when a trouble uh, surprises us or comes upon us. No, but friends, they were deliberate tears. We sat down. We sat down and we wept. We wept. They were tears with consideration. We wept when we remembered Zion, the holy hill on which the temple was built. They wept over the destruction of God's house. They wept over the destruction of God's house. Their affection for God's house swallowed up concern for their own homes. They wept when they thought of that beautiful city, now in rack and in ruin and in ashes. They wept when they, when they thought of its former glory and the wrongs done to it. They wept when they remembered all the happy days that they had spent going up to the house of God with joy and with a shout of praise. Psalm 42 and verse 4 says this, When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I had went with the multitude. I went with them up to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise and with the multitude that kept holy day. Jeremiah says, Ye that have escaped the sword, go away. Go away, he says, stand not still. But remember, but remember the Lord afar off and let Jerusalem come into your mind. We are confounded because we have heard reproach. Shame hath covered our faces for strangers are come into the sanctuary of the Lord's house. Lamentations 1 and 16 says for these things I weep for these things I weep mine eye mine eye runneth down with water because the comforter should should, be, should relieve my soul because the comforter that should relieve my soul is far from me my children are desolate because the enemy hath prevailed friends there was weeping there was weeping there was weeping when they remembered Zion, and you know, even today, there's a place in, in Jerusalem in the southwest corner, the area in which the temple was built. Some Jews still go there on occasions to weep, to weep over the ruins of their city, to weep over their nation, just like our Lord did when he beheld that great city and he wept over it. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen doth gather her chickens under her wings, but ye would not. Ye would not. Behold your house. He's talking about the Lord's house here. Behold your house is left unto you desolate. When they remembered, friends, they wept. They wept. Friends, I ask you this morning, do you weep? Do you weep whenever you remember all what the Lord has done for you? Do you weep because of the joy that your sins have been forgiven? Do you weep tears of joy because your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Friend, I ask you, do you weep? Do you weep when you think of Christ and what it cost Him, the Holy One, to take away all our sins? Do you weep whenever we come around this table? Do we weep? Do you weep when you think back that, that, that there was a time in your life when in your walk with God that there was a fire in your heart? 
There was a passion, there was a zeal, there was a love in your heart for the things of God and nothing would have stopped you from pressing through just to even touch the very hem of your garment. But now there's lethargy. Now there's apathy. There's tiredness and weariness and you've allowed the things of this life to come and to crush you. Do you weep, friends, because you, you keep falling at the same hurdle? You keep stumbling at the same place. You never seem to get the victory over it and you're held in captivity by it. Friend, do you weep? Do you weep because you feel as if you're going round and round and round the mountain, never going anywhere, never attaining to anything. You're just treading water trying to keep afloat. Do you weep? Do you weep because there's no power in your life? You're just a good Christian. But, but there's no impact of that Christian life on that world outside those doors. Friend, do you weep? Do you weep because of his church? Do you weep because of, not my church, not your church, not our church, but his church? Do we weep because of the mess that it's in? Do we weep, friends, for the walls seem to be broken down, the gates are burnt, and as people powerless, friends, do we weep? Do we weep? The children of Israel wept. They wept. They wept when they remembered Zion. Where did they weep? Psalm 137 tells us they wept. They wept by the rivers of Babylon. And, and what, does those, what does those rivers signify? Well, they speak of the pleasures and delights of this world. You know, Babylon was, was known as a great city, a beautiful city. Uh, with all different kinds of cultures and languages. Oh, it was a mixture of every kind. It was, it was said to be one of the most beautiful cities in the whole world. But you know something, all that had no interest in the captive children of Israel. Their only thought and remembrance was in that beautiful city of Zion. Why? Why? Well, I believe Psalm 132, 13, 14, and 15 gives us the answer. For it says this, For the Lord hath chosen Zion. He hath desired it for his habitation. This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell. For I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Friends, God was in the midst of her. God was in the midst of Zion and the children of Israel knew it. They had tasted of his bounty. They had peace in his presence. They were abundantly blessed with his provision and nothing of this world's pleasures could ever come close to that. And when they thought and remembered of that beautiful city of Zion, they wept. They wept. Oh friends, could that be said of us? Could that be said of us? That our only thought and remembrance would be not in the pleasure of this world out there, but we'll be in God and the restoration of God's power and God's word in this land today. They wept. They wept. Verse 3 of Psalm 137 says, For there they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they that wasted us, wasted us, required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. You know, it wasn't enough for the Babylonians. To have, to have held the, the children of Israel in captivity. Now they mock them. Sing us one of your songs. Come on, let's, let's hear one of your songs. You're in prison, you're in bondage. But sing us one of your, now they wasted them. They made fun of them, they mocked them. And you know, it's a bit like our world today, isn't it? 
Not only do the governments and lawmakers want to bind and, and, and tie up the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, but there's a mocking, is there not, friends? But there's a mocking and a wasting of God's people today. I mean, you've only got to go out onto the, the, the streets to give out tracts or, 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 or make a stand for, for truth and righteousness in the workplace or, or even in the schoolhouse or, or even amongst your own family and you're laughed at. Is that not true? You're laughed at, you're mocked, you're berated, you're abused. You're even taken to court. Friends, it's happening today. It's happening today. You're called a radical. You're called a scaremonger, a preacher of doom and gloom. And you know where it says that they wasted us. That they wasted us. That literally means that they led us on heaps and tormented us. Tormented us. And friends, we all know that that tormentor is busy about his business today. He's trying to torment and destroy the people of God today with sickness, with mental illness, and with many, many difficult situations and circumstances in the lives of believers. Friends, that devil is going about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, seeking whom he may destroy. You know, his whole aim is to, is to trap and ensnare many and bring them into captivity. And friends, he loves nothing better than to try and trap and, 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 and ensnare a child of God. A child of God. But friends, we are no longer held in captivity, amen? We are no longer held in captivity to this world or the God of this world, the devil, because we have been set free. We have been set free by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of Christ. That devil has no power over us. He may fire his fiery darts at us and he, he seems to do it to me every day. He may try to trip us up and ensnare us in the bondage. But friends, we just need to plead the blood of Christ. You know, every morning I plead the blood. I plead the blood over my mind. I plead the blood over my life. I plead the blood over my thoughts. I plead the blood over my family, over my children, over my house, over my cars, over my church. I plead the blood. We just need to plead the blood. We need to stand upon the word of God and trust him. And trust him. You know, friends, it looked hopeless. It looked hopeless for the children of Israel. They were in bondage. They were in captivity. They were being misused and abused. They had lost their joy. They had lost their song. They hung their harps upon the willows. There's no song to be sung. All hope of ever being set free looked, looked impossible. They, they were set for a life of bondage and misery. Freedom looked totally impossible to them. No way out. Have you ever been there? I have. A son of I know you've been there. We've been there, haven't I? I won't tell it looks impossible. There's no way out. These children of Israel looked impossible for them. No way out. Bondage, misery. They were being abused. They were being beaten. But friends, here's the good news this morning. And please don't take it as a cliche. This is not a cliche, but the Word of God says, nothing, nothing is impossible with God. Do we believe that? Nothing is impossible with God. For you see, when these children of Israel, for you see, with these children of Israel, there was a day coming. There was a day coming when things were going to turn. You hear me this morning, friend? There was a day coming when things were going to turn. Psalm 126 verse 1 says, When the Lord turned the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dreamed. When the Lord turned again the captivity, not maybe, not hopefully, 
Not possibly, no friends. But when, but when a command set in heaven, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dreamed. You know, friends, this turning and releasing of the captives came totally out of the blue for the children of Israel. They were not expecting it. They had no inclination of it. They had no prayer notice of it. It just happened so suddenly and so quickly that at first they were in confusion. Confusion and amazement, not knowing what to make of it. So sudden and overwhelming was their joy that they felt like men out of themselves. One commentator said that they were ecstatic or in a trance. The captivity had been great and great was their deliverance for the great God himself had wrought it, had wrought it. It seemed so good to be actually true. They thought that we're dreaming. We're dreaming that we've been set free. It must be a dream. Surely this could not be happening to us. This is a dream. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Israel, we were like them that dreamed, it says. You know, Barnes renders it like this. It seemed like a dream. We could hardly realize that it was true. It was so marvelous, so good, so full of joy that we could scarcely believe that it was real. We, we fear that it is a dream. And it'll all vanish away. But friends, this was no dream. This was no It was as real as real could ever be. Just like Peter in the book of Acts when he was in prison and, and held by four quartillions of soldiers. But prayer was made. But prayer was made without ceasing unto God for him. And God heard their cry and delivered him out of prison and to the door of the prayer meeting. But when Rhoda went to the door and answered it and saw Peter standing there, what did she do? She closed the door. She went back in and told the disciples and, and that Peter was at the door and they said, you're mad, you're mad. They didn't even believe their own prayers. But when the door knocked again and Peter walked in, it says that they were all astonished. They were, all, they were all filled with wonder and joy and amazement. And you know, friends, whenever I think back to what the Lord, to when the Lord had touched me, I thought that it was a dream. You all know the story. I thought it was a dream. When I awoke the next morning after that operation, I thought that I had dreamed that there was no cancer, no tumor, no disease. I had to ring Patricia to see if it was true or, or was I just dreaming this? Was I just dreaming this? But no, friends, this was no dream. This was no dream. The Lord of glory heard your prayers. He heard your prayers. And he answered your prayers. He came and he touched me. And he made me completely whole. A real touch, friends. A real touch by a real God. He turned the captivity in my life. He turned the captivity in my life and in my body. Whenever we were in Germany last week, I was given testimony. And I showed the wee video of Louise. And I spoke of what happened in theatre and everything. But there was, there was quite a few unsafe people there. And this fella said to another person afterward, not to me, but to another person, he says, I don't believe him. I don't believe him. Show me the scars, he said. He said, show me the scars. And then, you know, all he had to do was ask me, I want to show him. I want to, there you go, friend. Scar down there, there you go. Show me the scars, he said. And then I believe. Real scars, but friends, a real touch from God. A real touch from God. A real touch from the great physician. Friends, I was amazed. I was astounded. As, as I know we're all of you, we were all filled with wonder. We were filled with joy. We were filled with amazement, weren't we? Just 
just as these captives had been. They were amazed. They were in wonder. They, they couldn't believe it. But when the Lord turned again their captivity, it was like a dream. It was like a dream to them. But suddenly, but suddenly this dream was for real. Suddenly the release had come. Suddenly their captivity had turned. Suddenly the chains were broken and they were free. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, God heard and God turned their captivity into freedom. When the Lord turned again their captivity, we were like them that dreamed. Friends, hear me this morning. And this is what I want to say. Hear me this morning. Friends, I believe that when, that when, not if, not a, but when the Lord moves in our time, not in some future time whenever we're all dead, but I believe when he moves in our time, it'll be a very quick and a very sudden move, just like, just like the children of Israel in this passage which I've read. I believe that we will be astounded at the workings of the hand of God. Friends, I believe that we will actually have to pinch ourselves, pinch ourselves, thinking it all is just a dream because, church, we will see the, move, the Lord move on the left hand and on the right hand in such a way that we will know that only He could have done this. That we will know that only He could have done this. Suddenly, suddenly, and swiftly, just like that 120 in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2 verse 2 it says, They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house. No one was excluded. All were filled. Suddenly the spirit fell. Suddenly, friends, suddenly. You know, wasn't it our, our dear brother Clendenin that, that, that once said he had grown to love that word suddenly. Suddenly all things were made right. Suddenly strength came in the sick bodies. Suddenly lives were changed in an instant. Suddenly the Lord will come to his temple and things will never be the same again. Suddenly life will spring from death. Suddenly the captivity of the children of Israel was turned. It was turned. It said it in his word, friends. I read it. It was turned in an instant. Turned in a moment. Turned in the twinkling of an eye. Turned and they thought that they'd been dreaming. They thought that they'd been dreaming. A turning, friends. A turning, a great turning. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that there can be a great turning? That suddenly the Lord can turn things around for you? Do you believe that? Church, I'm believing that this year, this year will be a year of turning. A turning from bad to good. A turning from hate to love. A turning from unforgiveness to forgiveness. A turning from war to peace. A turning from drought to harvest. A turning from few to plenty. A turning from hard hearts to soft hearts. A turning from sin to salvation. Friends, a turning from death to life. Church, we have to believe that the Lord can turn our situations and circumstances around in an instant. In an instant. We have to believe that. We have to believe that he can turn our sicknesses into his healings. We have to believe that he can turn the heart of our unsaved loved ones onto him, friends. And friends, we have to believe that he can turn the hearts of a nation to seek him once again. That he can turn the hearts of a nation out there to seek him once again. In Nehemiah 13, he turned Balaam's curse into a blessing. In Psalm 30, he turned David's mourning into dancing. In Exodus 17, he turned the rock into a fountain of water. In Ezra 6, he turned the heart of a king to favor God's people. A turning, friends. A great turning. But turn with me. <laughs> turn with me to Job 42, if you would, please, in your Bibles. Job 42, verse 10. Job 42 verse 10, it says this, And the Lord, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job. When? When he prayed for his friends. Now we all know the story of Job. 
He was perfect. He was upright. He feared God. He, 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 he eschewed evil. He, he, he had a large family of sons and daughters and he had great wealth. He had many herds of flocks of sheep and, and camels and sheep and oxen and everything. But you know, one day, one day the Lord allowed Satan to come and to take it off from him. His family, his wealth, his, his livestock, even his very health. From being in a day of peace, of joy, and of security, now he was in a day of trouble, of pain, of sorrow, and he was in captivity. He was in captivity. Matthew Henry says, Job's trouble began in Satan's malice, which God restrained. His restoration began in God's mercy, which Satan could not oppose. Church, if you read the full story of Job, then you will see the captivity of Job turned when he prayed, when he prayed for his friends and his family. You know, he had probably every right to feel aggrieved. He probably had every right to feel aggrieved, to feel angry, to feel bitter, to feel uh, hatred towards them. Because after all, they had given him bad advice. They had given him unwise counsel. They had showed him little sympathy. They had blamed him for all the calamity that came into, came into his life. And out of that, his wife told him, curse God and die, Job. Curse your God and die, Job. But church, hear me clearly this morning. His captivity turned. His captivity turned when he prayed for them. When he prayed for them, when he got on his knees and prayed with an honest and with a pure and with a sincere heart for them. He had suffered much through the unkindness of these friends. They had criticized them without feeling and without mercy. But God was now about to show Job his mercy. But first Job had to show mercy to those who were unmerciful to him. Forgive, forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. That's what the word of God says. Forgive and ye shall be forgiven. Job, when Job forgave, then God turned his captivity. God turned his captivity. He was miraculously restored. His family, his friends, his wealth, his livestock. The Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. And church, I pray that we all, that we all would have that heart and prayer life like Job. That even though we may feel that we've been hurt, We've been hurt or offended by someone, someone's words or someone's accent. And that could be even a family, I don't know, a family member. It could be someone at work. Friends, it could be even someone in the church. It could be even someone in the church. We may feel hurt or offended. But friends, if we would be able to get on our knees and pray, simply pray for that person. Pray that not only their captivity would be turned, but that your captivity, that my captivity would be turned as well. Would be turned as well. Church, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dreamed. Then was our mouth filled with laughter. Our tongue was singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us. Whereof we are glad. You know, I think I mentioned earlier on, at the start of this message. But if you notice, the psalm begins with when. With when, not maybe, not could be, not if. But when. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion. That means he's promised it. That's a promise. He's going to do it. It's going to come to pass. It's going to happen. And church, I know that we've all been praying for many years. We've all been praying for families, for our own saved loved ones, for friends, for work colleagues, for uh, praying for many difficult situations and circumstances. And most of all, we've had that burden for revival. We've had that burden for revival for many, many years now. And, and I'm sure, friends, if we're all honest with ourselves, we've all asked at one time or another, when? 
When, Lord? When? And you know, that's just a, that's just a natural reaction from us mere humans. But friends, hear me this morning. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. He does not delay beyond the appointed time. He's a God that keeps His word. He's a God that cannot lie. Those promises that He's given you and given me will come to pass. Will come to pass. And the captivity of our loved ones and friends and family will be turned. They will be turned to the glory of God. To the glory of God. And church, when those that are held in captivity to sin and turned and set free, when those that are wrecked by sickness and disease are healed, when those difficult situations and circumstances are overcome, and most of all, when revival breaks out on those streets out there, friends, then will our mouths be filled with laughter. Our mouths will be filled with laughter and our tongues with singing. Our hearts will be filled with joy like we've never known before. Laughter, laughter will fill our mouths where once we were laughed at. Now laughter will fill us. Not of scorn, not of I told you so at our enemies, but no, it'll be a laughter of joy, of joy of look what the Lord has done. A new song will be put in our hearts and it'll be a song of praise, a song of thanksgiving, a song of worship and a song of glory and of adoration unto him, unto him of the great things that he has done in the midst of his people. Christ said it in Matthew 12, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. Friends, when the Lord turns again the captivity of many, there'll be that abundance of joy in the heart that the mouth will have to speak. The mouth will have to speak. And it'll be noised abroad far and wide of the great things the Lord has done. And many, many will be astounded in the church and outside the church. When the Lord turns again the captivity of Zion, then we were like them that dreamed. Then was our mouths filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. Then said the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us. We're off. We are glad. Friends, listen, I come to you close. I want to tell you, the Lord makes no mistakes. The Lord makes no mistakes. I believe he's speaking and I believe he's speaking very clearly to us this morning. The Lord is going to turn. Paula, Hassan, the Lord's going to turn where me is concerned. He's going to turn. Sandra, he's going to turn where your girls are concerned. It's all going to turn, friends. Elaine is going to turn where your family's concerned, where my family's concerned. It's going to turn to captivity. Uh, Nile, would you want us? Friends, we have to believe that. You know, let's not leave here downhearted, but let's leave here with hope in our hearts. With hope in our hearts, with faith rising up in our hearts, that Lord, you are going to hear and answer prayer, that Lord, you are going to turn the captivity of our family, that you're going to move in our day, not in some future. I want to, I want to see it. Is that selfish of me? But I want to see the Lord doing it now. I want it done yesterday. I want to see the Lord doing it now. He can't do it now. Friends, I just want to encourage you this morning. He can't do it now. He can turn the captivity, whatever it may be. Whatever you're going through, I don't know, whatever you're going through in your own private life, in your own thoughts, whatever's happening in your family, in your, I, I, work, I don't know. But hear me, the Lord can turn it. It may seem a mess. It may look hopeless. It may look dire. It may look impossible. But friends, with God, all things are possible. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, then we were like them that dreamed. Amen. Could we stand this morning? Amen. David and Jonathan and, and Jillian could become. Amen. Let, uh, if you want prayer this morning, I don't know, for whatever. And maybe you're just on the brink of giving up. Maybe you just feel this is hopeless.
This is, I can do nothing about this. You know what's the best place where God wants you? When you can't do anything about it. When you just throw yourself at his feet and say, Lord, would you help me please? Would you know where I'm at this morning, Lord? Lord, I'm not in a good place, but Lord, I need you. Friend, if you want prayer this morning, come and we'll pray. We'll believe God that he can turn to captivity. That he can turn to captivity in our lives, in our families, in the church, and out in that world out there. Amen. Let's thank him this morning. Let's praise him. Amen. Blessed be your name.